Welcome to Tea with the People, the podcast. This is a series of conversations with innovative leaders who participate in our democracy by responding to racial injustices and inequities in the time of COVID-19. I'm Janelle Austin, the founder of Racial Agency Initiative. And I'm Justine Lee, the co-creator of Make America Dinner Again. We engage leaders who work creatively to activate and support their communities. Through this podcast, we hope to inspire others to do the same. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Sammy Wills, or Sammy Ablaza Wills, uh, Director of Asian Pacific Islander Equality, Northern California. Here's how they describe their organization. In working with the LGBTQI community, API Equality Northern California states that they exist to, quote, amplify our voices and increase visibility of our communities. We inspire and train leaders, establish intergenerational connections, and document and disseminate our histories, unquote. During COVID-19, they are responding by building deeper community care networks activating a phone tree to reach their most vulnerable community members and holding healing events to support their people as they move through grief and fear. Welcome, Sammy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Just to kind of kick off with a warm-up question, I'm just curious to know, is it sunny today in sunny California? (laughs) Oh my gosh, it is extraordinarily sunny today. We've been, I think, in the thick of a pre-summer heat wave. And so um, my my apartment oh, wow. has no air conditioning, as many places in the Bay Area don't. And I am burning up. Oh no, that's not okay. Are you like on <laughs> first floor, second floor, third floor? Like... Oh, I am the top floor, third floor, oh. 10 degrees hotter up here. <laughs> yes, I, I've been in that situation before. When I lived in Pasadena, California, I was on the third floor and I got all the heat from the sun. Oh, <laughs> no. Have you tried, something I will sometimes do is just open the fridge or freezer door and just get a blast of cold air that way. Oh, I definitely do that. In dire, dire circumstances, I am fully in front of the fridge. <laughs> oh, you know what you could do, though? Like when I was a kid... We, because our house didn't have air conditioning growing up, and so my brother and I would take our bed sheets and put them in the freezer. Yes, so that I've heard way, about this. Oh, that's so smart. Yes. So you get these like cold, crisp bed sheets, and it's just it's perfect for hot weather, especially humid weather as well. I, yeah. feel, I feel like we could spend the whole time actually talking about how to <laughs> care in the sun, but we're here for even more interesting conversations than that. Just to kind of um, get a little bit more background and context for the work that you all have been doing during COVID-19, we're curious to know what inspired the phone tree and healing events that you guys set up to respond to the pandemic. Yeah, Absolutely. A-Pink, uh, and, and you know, we, we lovingly call our organization A-Pink. Um, we were established back in 2004 with the name API Equality Northern California. And in the 16 years since then, we've gone through many, many iterations of our work. Um, I think 
doing work and experimenting and then reflecting on its impact is, has been a big part of our organization and many social justice movements. And so nowadays we're just going by a pink um, and it, it kind of just better reflects who we are and what we do. Uh, and as an organization, one of the core things that we focus on is building strong relationships that transform our values and heal from our traumas. And we know that as an organization of majority transgender and non-binary young people and elders, there's so many ways that we've just been denied access to real human connection and um, validation, affirmation, and tenderness with one another. Uh, even before COVID-19 hit the United States, many people were already living in social isolation or were estranged from families and communities that should be places of support for our people. And so when the shelter in place was first announced uh, across California, it was a big moment for our members to say, wow, as people who are already experiencing isolation and oppression, this is something that's going to hit us even harder. We need to find ways to stay connected um, and to stay in communication with one another so we can identify what's happening right now, so we can meet people's material needs, so we can process the anti-Asian racism that's happening uh, because of the coronavirus and because of all the racist framing around it. And so based on the connections that we had in the community and on our ethos, really as an organization, um, members started organizing a phone tree, especially to check in with the most vulnerable members of our community, like elders, youth, low-income folks that might not have access to Zoom technology or the internet or might not just be versed in those things. Uh, establishing a phone tree was really a way to stay connected with people and also hear what their needs are. We've been able to deliver groceries to folks, um, connect and re-engage with people, invite them to social events happening, uh, and just stay connected to make sure that our community as a whole is doing okay. And then on top That's of that, beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it really, it really has been a beautiful thing to witness how people want to show up for one another in this moment. I think it's really scary when, when people realize they're in the middle of a crisis, there's so many stages of grief and stress that people can go through. And I think having a phone tree has been one way for people to reclaim agency over their lives and their connections during such an uncertain time. And so in concert with that, um, we've also been wanting to provide just different community gatherings, whether it's workshops, or just small get-togethers or one-on-ones where people can also just process and heal with all of the things happening in the world right now. Some of those things really mainly being like anti-Asian racism that's being perpetuated at the federal level to um, just the grief and loss of work or of certainty or of people's loved ones or just the different emotions that come up when we, were, we, we thought we had some level of stability in life, and I think a crisis reminds us that a lot of that stability is incredibly conditional as people who are oppressed in this current society. Uh, and so our healing events are also ways to make space for people to be in those feelings and to know that they're not alone as so many things are coming up for them. I feel like you gave us an idea of the people you're serving during this time. Um, I'm curious to hear more about, you know, why they're important to you and also if there, if there are any examples that stand out to you 
folks you've supported and reached out to through the phone tree or the healing events? Is there a story that, that you think really captures the, the power of your work? The members of APINC are primarily, as I mentioned, trans and non-binary young people and um, some elders. To make it very simple, these people are important to me because these people are me. I, growing up, uh, you know, I grew up in a very low-income, no-income household. Um, My mom's an immigrant from the Philippines and I just didn't have a lot of stability in my own life. And I definitely didn't have communities that affirmed every single part of who I was as a young person, as a trans person, as a queer person, as a Filipino person, um, not a lot of spaces held room for all of that, all of those multitudes. And I think what APINC tries to do in every single event, rally, action, campaign we put on is create space for belonging for people. Um, And I think that our base is important to me and our base is important to one another because there's so much mirrored lived experiences where we can really see in one another the pain that's happened in our life, the hurt and the trauma, and we can work to mend those things. Um, The work of unlearning oppression and relearning abundance and interdependence is collective work. There are elements of it that are individual, but there are many elements that can be done together. And I think as someone who has been greatly helped by community that chooses to see me for all of who I am, I also feel it's my responsibility to continue that work because there's so many other folks who were in similar situations as me or in, in, in more dire situations than me, who I think really need and really get a lot out of being in a community that wants to see all of them. And I think one really solid example happened super recently. Just in, um, just in this past week, we held an event that was all about moving through grief and sustaining community. And this event was specifically for trans and gender nonconforming Asian and Pacific Islanders. Uh, and one of the beautiful things about this moment is that, you know, normally we would be doing our work just in the Bay Area. But because of the moment that we're in, because everything's online, we were able to invite people from all around the country to participate in this event. And it was a two-hour event where people walked through different activities and saw different presentations about grief. And almost at every point along the way, my fellow trans non-binary API folks were able to share stories about how they were resilient or how they were calling on ancestral wisdom or how they wanted to cultivate better boundaries or really dig into community. At every step of the way, people shared vulnerably, people cried, people held one another the best that they could virtually. And I think that the safety created by that space allowed people to let out parts of themselves that they were keeping inside for a very long time. Um, And I know that that was only possible because we had a space that was intentionally created to hold the nuance of who people were without judgment and without shame. And I think when we're able to do that, we're able to really unlock, not just like our full human potential, but the deep and the dark and the dirty things that we need to work 
honest people, we're able to let those things out um, and invite other people into working on those things with us. Oh, that's amazing. Thanks, Sammy. Yeah, you've been sharing so much of what's been working and what's been fueling you um, in your community. I'm curious if you've come across any challenges and if you have how you've navigated them. Absolutely. I think the moment of COVID-19 exacerbates all the challenges that already exist within our society and within, within our community. So the folks who had minimal access to housing and employment before have even less access to stable housing and employment now. People who are already dealing with depression and anxiety and um, other mental health traumas uh, are only experiencing those worst now. And I think one of the challenges that we face in this community and in this work is that uh, no one organization can do everything. Uh, and when we have a population that is at the intersection of so many different experiences, uh, it's really, really hard to just meet everyone where they have the need. You know, we, we want governments to be responding to the needs of our community rapidly and well and in a culturally competent way. But the reality is that that's not happening. Um, we don't have governments that are acting quickly and able to do so with all of the competency needed to address the diverse backgrounds within the API community and the diverse gender experiences that um, encompass all trans and gender nonconforming and queer people. So I think what we're seeing, unfortunately, is how the uh, inequalities that were already present are only worse. And that makes it really hard to connect with people sometimes when their basic needs are being threatened and they don't have the privilege to receive a stimulus check or they don't have the privilege to have a full-time job that'll let them work remotely or they don't have the privilege to have internet on every day or they don't live in a, an affirming home that they can just talk about being queer and trans and out around the different people they live around. I think all of those challenges are, are just kind of compounded as we're trying to get in touch with people and see what they're up to and, and pull them into a community some people just simply have so many dire needs in this moment that that's really, really challenging. Sammy, your, um, your words are just drops of knowledge, like left and right. And, I, and so <laughs> I'm from like the Black church tradition and the poetry lounge <laughs> tradition. And so I'm here wanting to snap and be like, you better <laughs> preach that. But, but for the sake of the recording, I've muted myself. <laughs> <laughs> so we can actually hear you drop knowledge. <laughs> but well, thank I, I, you, though. That is so sweet. <laughs> but I, I want to go back to this point that you made about the intersectionalities of various issues that that people are facing, and that you're trying to address what you can, and and curious to know specifically about uh, the intersection of race with the work mm -hmm. that you're doing and how you feel that it's addressing the challenge of race in the United States. If you want to mm -hmm. speak more locally to your context, that's fine too. But also just recognizing, especially we can look at the news, 
today and yesterday and the day before and the week before and that, <laughs> that 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 race is a deeply national problem and we work at it in our local spaces but it does impact the national narrative so i'm i'm curious how you all are coming at that angle because you've mentioned it a couple times our organization was founded with the understanding that people of color in this country and for us specifically asian and pacific islander people uh, are subject to racism and xenophobia and all of the things that happen because of colonization and, and imperialism and the ongoing effects of all of those things and for us um, the challenge doesn't just lie in race alone the onus of the challenge is racism you know it's like it is beautiful i think when we're in a pink and when we're in our spaces and we get to have a diversity of asian and pacific islander experiences and people are there with a lot of genuine curiosity it's beautiful to see so many people bring their cultures bring their language bring their understandings of tradition and change and be able to resonate about certain things and have difference about other things it is a beautiful thing to be able to be in an exchange but white supremacy has made race a problem by dictating that some people are better than others and i think this is one of those moments where a lot of asian american and pacific islander people um are realizing and for some for the first time for others in a different way some people never forgot that asian americans and pacific islanders are only conditionally accepted in this country the logic of racism still determines that asian americans and pacific islanders are less than and i think this moment um has really really shined light on the fact that for many asian american folks and in, in this case particularly east asian or east asian appearing people are still seen as perpetual foreigners in the united states they're seen in this moment as disease carriers or as the virus themselves uh and i think for apink what we really understand is that the logic of racism forces people or tricks people into thinking that racism is the individual acts of racism right like when um unfortunately when we've had people in our community experience things like getting coughed at or getting spit on or people moving when they're in a public space cuz they're scared of an asian person now and those acts are racist but the racism that we're focused on dismantling doesn't stop there it also oh. means stopping the institutional racism yes. that perpetuates the myth myth of the model minority in schools and in in our media it means perpetuate it means stopping how the model minority myth and perpetual foreigner syndrome and all of these different anti-asian things um are treated at the federal level and on an ideological level come and on yes sorry like making these things <laughs> <laughs> but it's you know it's real i think like we have to address not only the racism that happens against asian american and pacific islander people but we also need to understand racism as a system of power because it is also the duty of Asian American and Pacific Islander people to be in solidarity with other people of color especially black and indigenous folks in this country because the the country was 
created based on the oppression of black and indigenous people and the country was fed by the imperialism and colonization of Asian and Pacific Islander and African places. And so I think there's just like a a constant way that as APINC, as people at this intersection of being trans and queer and API, we have to understand our own place within this country. We have to understand the history of how we got here. And we have to know that just because there might be individual acts of racism or prejudice or harassment between people of color, and those things do need to be addressed, that the actual thing to focus on is the broader systemic ideological and institutional racism that makes people of color fight for scraps anyways. Come on now. Come on. So, okay. So this, I mean, but, but what you just said is a lot. It's a lot of work. It's true. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> like, let's not kid ourselves. People go to, to burnout doing this very work. Uh, so, how do you stay motivated? How, what keeps you motivated, uh, especially during this pandemic with all the things you just listed of new, new iterations and forms of the very same racism uh, being manifested, in, in, especially in Asian Pacific Islander communities? What keeps you going? Yeah. It is a trying, trying time. That is no joke. People are experiencing heartache and grief. People are getting re-traumatized. People are watching the ground kind of like slip out from underneath them. And the thing that keeps me motivated in this time is remembering the power of what we can change and the agency that we can claim when we are working in community with one another. And I think that's why, you know, I started by saying that A-Pink is really based in relationship and our ethos is in community and in relationship. And um, that's not because it just like makes us feel good and it's like good to party. Those relationships are what sustain us when it gets difficult. And not all of that work is easy. Sometimes the work of being in relationship means saying the hard thing or being vulnerable in a hard way, or asking your people to do better with you. Uh, But I think that that by being in relationship, we're creating societies in which no one person has to do everything. And we're creating ecosystems within movements where no one organization has to do everything, where there is a place for everyone to do something, and there is no opportunity for one person to do everything. By having those relationships, um, we can cultivate space for abundance, and we can also cultivate space for joy and for laughter. And I think that sometimes in crisis or just generally, people are hella attached to the struggle. You know, they're like, if I'm not suffering, I'm not doing enough. And that is not a sustainable mindset. That's, that's a mindset of martyrdom. That's a mindset of scarcity and of individualism. And Amen. so I think what we're trying to cultivate as, as motivation, you know, is actually saying, it's much more beautiful to do this with your homies. You know, like it is much more beautiful to do this with your friends and with your community. It also means you get to do it for much longer and in a way that feeds your soul rather than starves it. Thank you. I felt like that answer fed my soul just now. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Same. 
same. That was so nice. Yeah, that leads nicely to my next question, which is, what are you hoping, you know, as a result of hosting the phone tree, the healing events, and, and all the work you've done with A-Pink over the years, what are you hoping changes about how people engage government uh, in Northern California or more broadly? What are you hoping changes about society as a whole? Actually, I think it can be, can be really blown out. From this incredibly difficult moment, there are really two things that I hope come out. And the first thing is that I hope people are able to reground and recalibrate what they see as essential to them. So many things in our society that um, people might have previously thought were essential have, um, have, have shown that they're not as essential, right? The things that are essential in our societies and communities are things like health and healthcare workers. They're the food and people who get us the food. They're the emotional labor and household labor that allow us to live in our homes and keep them clean and keep them safe and healthy. And I think now is an opportunity for people to really uh, imagine for themselves, what is essential to me? Is it my connections? Is it my home? Is it my community, my family? Um, the way that I am with myself, right? I think this is a moment for people to really interrogate and get clear on what is essential for them and what is essential for our societies. And those are the things that we should be investing our money and our time and our energy into, right? Uh, and the second thing that I hope people get out of this moment, it's, it's based on a quote from one of my favorite organizations, um, this organization is called Movement Generation. And one of the tenets of their work as an ecological justice organization is the idea that if we're not prepared to govern, we're not prepared to win. And in this moment, we're seeing a lot of amazing community initiatives like the mutual aid networks that are popping up the different distribution centers where people are filling gaps in food and healthcare. Uh, we're seeing the different ways that communities are providing for one another in a way that practices deep democracy. And I do not mean democracy like a senator got elected and then misused a bunch of money. I mean like real local decision-making power over the things that have impacts on people's lives directly. Um, and I hope that this is a moment where people get to practice local governance and get to practice saying, this is where I think our pooled resources should go. This is what I think we should do as a close-knit um, pod of seven people. This is what we should do as a household. Um, I hope that people get more versed in being able to make decisions collectively and know their neighbors and know their neighborhoods and know their teachers and know the other parents around them and the other trans and queer people doing this work, that this is an opportunity to practice what it really looks like to have self-determination and agency um, and to enact those things despite or in light of what the government is saying is appropriate and responsible that people will make the decision about what's appropriate and responsible for their pause in the community and the most vulnerable people around them. I love that. Thank you. I'm curious to know what, what help do you need right now? If, if money is off the table because we could all use additional funding, 
and how can people follow you and A-Pink um, as you continue to do the work you do? There are so many ways to help organizations like A-Pink and A-Pink right now. I think one of them um, is just sharing and getting educated about the issues that trans and queer Asians and Pacific Islanders face. And, um, you know, people can follow us online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at APINC, which is at A-P-I-E-N-C. Um, but I think there's also ways that we're asking for people who are part of our community to come be part of our community and be responsible with us for the well-being of everyone in our community. And there's a role for everyone to play, you know? Sometimes people can directly do grocery drop-offs. Sometimes people can donate groceries. Other people can make calls to check in on community members. Other people can facilitate workshops to make sure that other folks are doing okay and have community space to process. There are so many ways to lend skills to this organization. And if you're not a part of this community, if you're not a trans, queer, Asian and Pacific Islander person, um, I think that this is a really important moment for everyone in every community to really interrogate how they are practicing solidarity as a verb. Uh, solidarity is not just a thing that happens once and it's done and it's over. Solidarity is something to practice and reflect on and practice again. And I think I really would hope that everyone, including myself, takes the time to think about how they're in active solidarity with communities that are not their own, whether that is uplifting the campaigns that local communities are lifting up, donating resources, doing readings, getting educated, attending the 7,000 webinars that are happening in this moment about the injustice <laughs> and the joy, you know, this is a, this is a moment where you, you can attend events online that would have never previously happened. I, I have recently got to attend an event where there was five panelists across uh, three different continents. That is such wow. a Wow. You know, this is a yes. moment where we can learn with one another on how to do better and then practice and experiment, you know, like, People are very excited about experimenting with sourdough bread and pickling, and that is dope. Keep that energy and apply it to more things, you know? Like, you don't have to stop making bread. You can make bread while you watch a webinar. Bread takes a long time to make. This is a perfect way to fill the time, you know? Just kind of, yes. like, make, you know, make it part of a practice. Make it a part of a ritual to figure out how to be in solidarity um, with trans and queer API people and with many, many other folks who need folks who are ready and educated and not defensive to come and support that work. Right. And let's be honest, like, this is the best time to do it, too, because, like, everything is being given away for free. Like, all this information and You're knowledge, right. people are dropping for free because they mm -hmm. care about all of us being stuck in this pandemic together. So it's, right. it's a perfect time to access information. It's true. It's, there's, there's an abundance of information out there. There's an abundance of recorded streams and books that have been made free online and all of these amazing presentations and videos and podcasts just like this one. Uh, I think now's the time for people to for people to really interrogate and recommit to the things that they want to commit to 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 make the society better for every single person. Yes. 
Sammy, you have you have given us so much. I'm so amazed. You've dropped so much knowledge in a short bit of time. Thank you. Thank you so much. If I may, I would like to squeeze one more word of wisdom out of you as a, a parting <laughs> gift to our listeners. If someone wasn't listening to anything you said, but they're listening in this moment right now, what word of wisdom would you give? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. And they should have been listening. So let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. Uh, I think if I just had one thing to say to people, I would say that, you know, oftentimes Western thought and Western ideology say that the smallest unit is one, right? One is the smallest thing. An individual is the smallest, smallest unit by which we can measure something, a system. Um, but I think in a lot of other communities across the world and a lot of other societies and cultures, the smallest unit isn't one, it is the relationship between two things. And so this is a moment where I really, really hope that people take the time to invest in their relationships because the smallest things that we have in our society is not just you and it is not just I, it is the connection that we have that we're able to grow, cultivate, change, and use for the betterment of people. And so this is really a time where we can push ourselves to talk with our friends and our family and our loved ones, to get into the vulnerable conversations about asking for help and offering help and moving through our fears and vulnerabilities. Uh, and now is as critical time as ever to be working on our relationships because these are the things that are gonna be taking us forward. Social change, every movement that has succeeded throughout history, every change that's been made in the world has been because relationships have allowed for things to happen. Mm. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Mm -hmm. And thank you for, for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Really appreciate you being here. Yeah, it's been such a joy to speak with you all. Thanks for having me. Of course. This has been Tea with the People, the podcast.